Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. And as ever, um, we're here to talk about football. We're to- here to talk about Manchester City. Uh, during the next hour or so, we'll be talking about the, the matches that have just gone. Port Vale in the FA Cup and the New Year's Day fixture against Everton. And we'll also be talking about the upcoming fixture against Manchester United, in particular the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final. There might be a little couple of City football matters in there as well. But when I say City matters, uh, that was a slip, but also not a slip, because this is a special edition of the podcast. Now, if you're an overseas listener to the podcast, and I know there are a lot of them, or you're not from the Greater Manchester area, or you're not a match-going fan, then you might think that what City matters and what the City Matters Committee does isn't as important to you but what we will try to do is to try to explain how it works and the importance of it and I hope it will be of interest to you even if you're not a match going fan because I think it probably relates to match going fans more than those who don't generally go to game nothing wrong with that but I'm just explaining that at the beginning of the podcast as ever we're sponsored by um, charleslouis.co.uk who are chartered mortgage advisors for which we thank them very much if you are in the process of buying a house considering buying one or helping somebody buy one maybe a family member and you want some advice have a look at their website website charleslouis.co.uk give them a call um, their number's on there as well and I'm sure that they will help you mention Forever Blue uh, mention that you heard about us uh, heard about them on the podcast and I'm sure that'll go down well as well and thanks for your support guys so with me are three members and, and not the normal podcast crew but three members of the City Matters Committee I have to say by the way that uh, there were a couple of people who wanted to come on tonight's podcast who couldn't. Andrew Bucknall, who suffered a family bereavement, who was one of the instigators of having this special City Matters podcast, um, can't make it tonight. So our thoughts are with you and your family, Andrew. And also, I know that... um, uh, Kevin Parker, who's uh, General Secretary of the Supporters Club, who's also on the City Matters Committee, has offered to speak to us tonight. We don't, sadly, right now, we're at Tameside Radio in Ashton, have the facility to get him on the phone. He had, did offer to do that, uh, but I know he's not been well enough to come tonight, so we hope, wish him a speedy recovery as well. And I know a couple of other people uh, have, have sort of cried off. So we're particularly grateful to the three of you who are here today. Um, who are now going to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about themselves. Because I think it's also important that people know who the City Matters Committee is, as well as what you do. So I'm going to start with probably the most familiar voice to the listeners of this podcast, because he is, from time to time, a regular on Mm -hmm. Forever Blue, and that is Matty. But rather than me introduce you, you introduce yourself, tell us your name, tell us your contact details, tell us who you represent, <laughs> all the inside leg measurement if you like, whatever, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, go. Uh, hello, I'm Matty Dove, like Ian mentioned, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you might know me, you might know that I spout a lot of rubbish about Man City, you might think that I talk a lot of sense, I'll leave that up to you. Um, I'm the under 25 rep, so I technically represent the people who are under 25 who are City fans, but I like to think that we're all in it for all City fans. So although I try and focus on issues specifically for people under 25, um, we're all in it together. So we want to help every every type of City fan. Uh, lifelong City fan myself, season ticket holder, been going since I was, well, as old as I can remember, really. Um, and yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Hello, I'm Colin Savage. Um, I've been on the podcast before, of course. I think some of you may know me through uh, King of the Kipax. Uh, I also do another well-known 
podcast, but I'm not going to name that and embarrassing. Um, <laughs> it's not embarrassing to me. <laughs> Mention anything you like. I've got to do one later, actually. Um, Bolt from the Blue. I, I do that regularly. Very enjoyable. Um, I'm the representative for season card holders. So I've got 40,000 people <laughs> I need to keep happy, uh, which is an impossible job, of course, because um, keeping 40,000 people happy is... Uh, Particularly City fans is a very difficult job. I've been a City fan now for uh, about 50 years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I, I think my, my first game, if I worked it out correctly, was uh, 50 years ago last year, 2019. So um, I've been going a long time. And uh, I, I've also been involved in... Uh, I used to... The, the predecessor to City Matters was a group called Points of Blue. Uh, and... Also, I was part of a... We tried to set up a supporters' trust, as Ian will remember, uh, just before the uh, Taxi Shinawatra takeover. So, so I've been sort of involved with the club quite a while, really, both as a fan and as what you might call an activist. I'm Adam Perdue. Uh, I'm the representative for families and young children. I sit in the family stand with my daughter. Uh, she's 15. She's been gone for 10 years. Um, I started going in about 76, I think the first season I went was the one when we got pipped to the title by Liverpool. So it's uh, <laughs> book-ended with this season a little bit. Um, I've sat three sides of the ground at Main Road and I've sat two ends of uh, the Etihad, so I've moved about a bit. Uh, but yeah, just maybe one more, two more years left in the family stand. Um, that's it really. Let me ask you, all three of you can answer it either individually or collectively, however you want to do this, but... Why did you want to be... Well, let's start at the very beginning. What is City Matters, for those who don't know who what it is? Well, City Matters is basically a fan representative committee. Um, we work with the senior club management on f fan related issues. So it started, um, really started moving the summer, to, summer, last, summer 2018, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the club asks for people to represent various what you might call constituencies among the city fan base. So obviously season card holders and young people and families. And we've got there, there are 10 of us in total. Uh, so you're like little MPs. We're, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had to be elected. So I uh, if you to wanted that. to be, if you wanted to um, represent a particular part of the fan group you had to submit your name to the club and the club actually had some control over it so it's a bit like maybe a bit like the uh, Russian elections where they pick the candidates but I think there were four of us for, for my category season card holders there, there were three or four candidates for for most of the um, different posts and and people got a vote on those so and that um, went out to just any city fan did it or anybody in that category well, I think it was at any city fans. Um, was anyone with a citizen's number membership? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. So, do you get paid to do this job? No, no, we don't get paid. It's purely voluntary. So, so, so why do you do it? I I started doing it because I'm always moaning about the pies or the beer or whatever <laughs> it is, and you know, I'm moaning that there's never been an avenue to get to get into the club, or it's sometimes difficult. So, to give you the chance to do it, you have to. Yeah, I, I think it's just having a genuine passion for City, isn't it? I think people mistake us as sort of being puppets for the club, but we're all just football fans. We're all City fans who are just passionate about City and having an opportunity to try and make positive change. That was the whole mindset I went into it with. Is like, wow, like I'm going to feel so good if I can make positive change that makes the fans go, wow, the club are actually listening to us and we're, and we're 
and they're listening to the fans. That's what I was, because I think I remember in the very first meeting, I was saying, I want this to be as transparent as possible because I want fans to be able to say that the, the club are actually listening to the fans. And I think that that's one frustration that's always been there is that it doesn't feel like the club are listening before City might have started. I mean, um, it always felt like we were on the outside looking in. So to have the opportunity to be in and try and help fans was just a, a brilliant opportunity, I think. And we're all passionate about City and we wanted to do that. Right. Well, that's the introduction. Um, what I want to do now is I want to do what we normally do in the podcast, which is to talk about the football <coughs> a little bit. Uh, because there is a perception out there, I'm sure Matty will agree with this, and certainly one or two people have said to me that uh, that the City Matters Committee, whoever they are, we're, we're trying to debunk that and let find out people who, who you are and who they are uh, today. But, you know, they're, they're not football fans, they're not City fans. And and uh, so I want to know what your thoughts are on on games as well. So let's talk a little bit about the football. Let's meet you as as real football fans. Uh, City played as we sit here on Sunday evening. City played Port Vale yesterday in the FA Cup. Progressed to the fourth round of the the FA Cup. Um, there were great performances, at least I thought, from some of the young players like Eric Garcia, Taylor Har- Harwood, Bellis, Phil Forden, of course, scored that the the goal. It was disallowed. Um, there was Angelino in there. There were a lot of positives to be taken from that. There was also the victory against Everton on New Year's Day, the first start, uh, first game in 2020. And there is an upcoming match against Manchester United now in the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup. Now, later, we'll talk about things like ticket distribution for, for that, because I know it's a thorny issue. So we will come back to all that type of stuff. But for the moment, I just want your thoughts really um, you know, on, on the games that have gone and the game that has come. So, Matty, who's the most familiar with this podcast, mm. let's kick off with you and ask you what you thought of the uh, the last two games, particularly the Port Vale game. Uh, I, I missed the game, which is a bit frustrating, so my input might not be as valid. Um, but from what from what I heard, I was working at the time, so that's why I missed it. Um, but I was, happy, I was happy to see that we started with a relatively strong side. We gave them the respect that they deserve. They've got to the third round, so fair play to them. Um, but it was also good to see that he gave the youth the chance. I'm glad Garcia didn't start because, to me, he should be starting at uh, Old Trafford tomorrow, cause, uh, on Tuesday, sorry, because I think he's been brilliant. Um, Foden, obviously, I'd like to see him start as well, but it was good to see him. And then, obviously, you've got the young lads, Howard Bellis, Brilliant for him to to score on his debut. I haven't I haven't even seen the goal yet, which is for saying was it on the line? It hit him on the line, basically. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair though, if I was I'm a City fan, if I got a chance to play for City, I'd take any goal, no matter how it comes. So um, well played to him for for scoring on his home debut. Brilliant for him. Uh, but yeah, it was just nice to to get through. I'm, I'm presuming it was a relatively comfortable game. I know they scored to equalise in the game, which is a typical City can't defend. <laughs> But um, yeah, it was a, a good performance I hear, so I'm happy just to get through. Um, what was the game before that? Was it Everton on Everton. New Year's Day? That was quite a solid victory, wasn't it? I, I don't think we were ever in danger in that game. I think. Yeah. Having said that, the same virtually the same Everton team uh, lost one nil to Liverpool's reserves. Yeah, today. they're shambles, aren't they? It, yeah. But so what the point I'm making is that <sighs> Everton. Obviously, no great shakes at the moment. Without, without turning it into a negative, though, I think VAR really frustrated me in that game. I know people will be sick of talking about it, but I think the whole atmosphere in the ground during that Everton game just died a death after the VAR moment because it it's such a clear offside. So I don't get why it took so long 
to to rule it out. And then there was the one for the penalty as well, um, where Maris went through and they gave a penalty, but then he, there was a handball in the, the lead up to it. Offside in the build up. Offside, yeah. all this nonsense. And it just takes forever, and we don't have a clue what's going on. The offside, I think they showed on the screen, so like, all right, fair enough, he's offside in the build up. But most of the time, we just stood there twiddling our thumbs, going, well, what's going on here? And it just kills the atmosphere and the ground completely. And then when you do score, you're sort of deflated, thinking, well, well, do I have to just wait a minute to celebrate in case it gets ruled out? It's the same argument every week about it, and everyone's had their little rant about it, and it's never going to change, I think. For the first time today, a referee actually went to the monitor to see it for himself, which I think we definitely need to see more of. But that was a little... Well, uh, you mentioned all this VAR stuff. I mean, uh, the Everton game was the game where Don Grant, who's a fan who I know who's been on the... uh, It was actually on the vlog that I did yesterday at the FA Cup game as well against Port Vale, and I asked him what happened, and if you don't know what happened, you'll you'll have seen the picture, presumably on social media, (laughs) Mm -hmm. of Don holding up a sign uh, which was basically uh, saying, football, rest in peace. Uh, you know, get VAR out. These aren't the exact words. Um, what about a protest? So th- that was the context. He held it up at half time during that game. Um, there were all sorts of conflicting stories about what was going on there. That the stewards came over and asked him to move it down because there'd been complaints from people around him that he was blocking their view, which he couldn't have been doing because it was half time. Uh, they, the stewards, I think said no that wasn't the case and we were being instructed from above and it's been reported in the Manchester Indian News it's been all over the place and of course I, I, I did a little bit on the vlog uh, yesterday and Don who has been a uh, an occasional appearer on my podcast and various radio stations uh, is going to come on a, a show in the in the future as well um, so he got the chance to explain that but that became a big talking point because people are so upset I mean I remember being at the, the Wolves game away when uh, Wolves had a goal disallowed and uh, I found myself I can't deny it and other City fans singing anti-VAR songs even though the goal had been ruled out and was to the benefit of City. That's how frustrated people are. Well, I'm going to be a bit contrary here. I know you like... Um, you can say what you want, opinions. I'm hugely in favour of VAR in principle, but the way it's been implemented, I think, has been a complete and utter shambles. And, and, what it sh- uh, and the story is that the um, IFAB, which is the international board which sets the protocol for VAR has warned um, Mike Riley twice that he's not implementing it in the way they want. And I think that says a lot about Mike Riley. Now, perhaps I better not go into this too much, but I had the benefit of a Q&A back in 2012 with Mike Riley at the Etihad. Not, not just me, the All Points of Blue Committee. And um, it, it, there, there were some very odd things said in there, which, which made you think, is this guy really on top of things? And I think what we're seeing now is... No, quite evident, evidentially, Mike Riley is not on top of things. And I think that, that there's a big danger he's going to lose his job over this because he's not implemented it properly. And, but, but it's throwing up all sorts of other interesting things, isn't it? You, the, the whole issue of the offside law, which we've taken for granted for many years, is now being thrown into complete focus by some of the... You know, marginal decisions that someone's buttock is offside or... Yeah, um, where's the armpit come from? I mean, that's the new yeah. thing, isn't it? The line under the armpit, but the, you can score with your shoulder. Balotelli scored with his shoulder. That wasn't, that's not handball. No. The whole point of 
the offside law is that someone shouldn't be gaining an unfair advantage by goal hanging, basically. But you know, that, that's just gone. You know, is someone's toe being offside gaining an unfair, unfair advantage? I'm sure you've had these discussions. I've well, listened it, to these it, discussions the on the that, pod. The, the thing that probably not, causes the most emotional reaction to this, which some people who, not saying all, but some people who, who aren't at games don't quite understand, is the emotional vacuum that is caused by the length of these yeah. these delays. I mean... Uh, when you watch the highlights on match of the day, um, there were there was a goal. One of the goals that was scored yesterday was was uh, in reality was deliberated for three or four minutes or whatever till a decision was finally made. Sucks the there life was, out of the stadium, well, doesn't was, it? That wasn't reflected in the highlights. You wouldn't have even known that had happened if you just watched the the highlights. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that, and emotion is a central part of it. But you know, anyway, that's but, where we are. And the weird thing was we. Uh, particularly for the Aguero goal, if you saw that, it looked like, uh, I think it was Cancelo was offside. And it looked to the naked eye that, that he was well offside when the ball was played to him. Uh, so when Aguero netted, you could see from Aguero r- right in front of me where I am in 109, you could see Aguero wasn't celebrating, he thought it was offside. I think the flag had gone up as well, hadn't it? I so can't remember. I can't remember uh, whether the flag went up or not, but everyone assumed it was offside. Now, my son, who lives 5,000 miles away in Phoenix, Arizona, he told me the goal was onside before we knew anything about <laughs> it in the stadium. So, you know, that's the... And Aguero didn't celebrate, thing. did he? No. Not in the way he normally does. No. And, and, and the, we're getting bigger. Anyway, that's VAR. In yeah. terms of the team that was selected against Port Vale, um, were you happy with, with that, that team? Because suddenly the FA Cup, there's more focus on it now than, than maybe we're still in the title race. Yeah, I mean, I think the, a lot of the problems that we've suffered this season, I think, have been caused by uh, Pep relying on, the, on too small a number of the experienced players. And it's been crying out to, to have some youth in there. I think uh, Howard Bellis has got to be the unluckiest guy because he seems he's behind Garcia in the pecking order. Um, so it's great, to, it's great that they both get a, get a go. I agree with Matty. I think Garcia's got to be considered a, a first eleven player now. Mm. Um, and I, you know there could be more out there. And, and Pep just seemed reluctant to to give these youngsters meaningful game time. Almost it seems in the league he started to do it. Now he now he knows it's gone. Um, it, it can only be good. It can only be good for the future. The other side of that argument, though, and obviously I'm, I always try to put both sides of this argument, is if you look against Port Vale, who were a League Two side, there wasn't much imagination uh, a lot of the, that game, I thought. I mean, City were clearly far better than Port Vale and were always going to win it. But without Kevin De Bruyne, who's become such a crucial player, the, they did feel as if there were passages of game where the game where City were playing it around, but without any real threat. Now, it, it always felt to me that sooner or later the goals would come. But this was against a League Two side. Um, and... So, you know, you sort of look at, at these youngsters and you think it's great that they're playing, but you still need that extra spark of creativity, that special player, or a few, ideally, of those special players, if you're going to beat Real Madrid, if you're going to beat Manchester United home and away in the, in the Carabao Cup semi-finals, Liverpool to the tile, things like that. You've got to keep De Bruyne fit for Real Madrid, though. You can't just keep playing in 90 minutes twice a week. And I think that we were talking about this at the game yesterday. The main problem for me was, if think about the Everton game, Mendy was getting a huge amount of space on that left, down that left flank and he was playing in some fabulous crosses. I mean, hopefully he's back to the player we thought we were buying. But we had quite a bit of pace on the pitch. We had Raheem Sterling, we had, um, we had Mendy, I think it was 
I think Cancelo was, again, finding a lot of space on the right. And the way, way we were set up with quite a bit of pace meant we were making, you know, quite a bit of hay down, down the flanks. Whereas uh, against Port Vale, we didn't have much pace in that. We didn't have Sterling, we didn't have Mendy, we didn't have Walker. Uh, again, we didn't have De Bruyne, but we don't rely on him for pace particularly. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is quite quick. So we, you know, Foden, Aguero and uh, Bernardo were the, were the players up front. And we lacked the ability to make some of the break, quick breaks that we normally make. And I think you have to give Port Vale some credit, actually. They were very well organised, but we were very narrow. So we, we were reduced, really, to playing the ball in front of, passing the ball sideways in front of them, rather than finding those gaps between the full-backs and the centre-backs, which, which they'd covered very well, actually. I say, you've got to give them some credit. Um, their, their manager had covered that side of things. That at one point, they had six across the back. So there, there were no gaps there, but I don't think we had the players to exploit those gaps, if they had been. OK, well, you know, those are the two games that City have played um, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Next up is Manchester United. It's a two-leg semi-final of the Carabao Cup. Um, I think it was Pep's first season when City played United home and away, also in the semi-finals of what was then probably the Carling Cup. And there was a lot of criticism from City fans saying that Pep didn't get derbies, uh, that he'd put out a weaker team, and City ended up losing those two games. Do you think it's going to be different this time? Do you, do, you, do you think because of the team that was selected against Port Vale that Pep's going to pick his strongest possible 11? Um, is, it, is that because it's a Manchester derby? Is that because City are no longer in the title race? What, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this upcoming derby or derbies? Well, what I like about Pep is we play to win every game. There's none of this putting out a weak, particularly weakened team like Liverpool did. Well, it in the, did happen though in that two-legged semi-final. And I think he's learned his lesson from that, right? Um, which is good to see. And I think also he'll be hurting from the league defeat at home, where we really were never really in that game, uh, and, and he let United, he let uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer make a complete fool of him in many ways, didn't he? The way they were set up and we failed to react properly. Uh, so I think he'll be. Him and the, the players will be out for revenge. Uh, of course, it's a two-leg game, so you know, I think you have to play it a little bit more like a chess game. But I think he'll be going out to win uh, at Old Trafford. I think he'll put a strong team out because I think, in fact, United were the last team to beat us in the Carabao Cup back in, was it 2015? Something like that. But we haven't been beaten in the Carabao Cup, the league well, Cup Well, that semi-final, the yeah. two-leg semi was the last time. Yeah. Was it not? Was it was a 1 0, wasn't it? We lost 1 0. I think it was the. Yeah, there was a 1 0. They beat us 1 0. It was Mancini. One of Mancini's first games was the two leg semi final. Ah, and was that the one? We won won the home game and then lost away. Was that it? The Craig Bellamy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we drew and lost or something. Yeah, there's a Tevez one, yeah. So I've got my memories confused here. It happens to everybody, doesn't it? But certainly in terms of wanting to win this one, this would be a hat-trick of Carabao Cup victories. I know that Pep, when he talks about titles, he doesn't necessarily just mean the Premier League title. He means a title, which is anything. So the League Cup comes into that. And 
you know, he will want City to win this again, won't he? Yeah. I, I think it's really important that we we can't go. We can't. I, I think the fact that we lost them in the league sort of puts even more emphasis on it. Because if we lose to them in the league and then go out in a two-legged game against them, I think that's a bit embarrassing for us. Because in terms of quality, we're miles ahead of them. You watch them in the game against Wolves the other night. You watch them in the past few weeks. Fair enough, you could argue that their system suits playing the better teams because they can counter-attack against them. But we've lost them in the league, so really we should learn our lessons from that game. And you wouldn't expect Pep to get outwitted by Oli again, would you? Um, and I think the fact that they've got another game against Wolves probably helps us a little bit because they've got to rely on less resources and we've rested players against Port Vale. So... I, I'm confident that we'll win the game over the two legs. I even believe we could go to Old Trafford and win because it probably suits us a bit better to play at Old Trafford. When was the last time we lost there? I think it was the 4-2 and that was about three or four years ago. Is that right? I think. So <laughs> everyone's like, uh, yeah, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think Old Trafford sort of become our playground a little bit and I think we should go there with every confidence that we can win. And I, I think over the two legs we will do it, but I'd be really, really annoyed if we didn't especially now that the league's pretty much gone that's a, a guaranteed trophy if we can beat United I think we could beat Leicester or Aston Villa in the final so therefore we've got to put some emphasis on it play a strong team go out there and win the game and then we're in a cup final and I think the other thing is that with the Christmas programme over we've not got a cup replay it's a while until the Champions League starts again so we're in a more normal phase of of, of the season where we've not got the games coming quite as thick and fast as they are you know Christmas New Year time and then when the Champions League kicks in again and the nice thing about the League Cup is you, you get it out the way at the end of February and you've got a trophy on the you know in the cabinet haven't you and, and it's out the way okay well that's that's what's coming up now let's get to the the main purpose of, <laughs> of inviting you three uh, down here so let's recap slightly um uh, we don't have to go through the whole details again, but you are three members of a ten-person committee. Is it all? Is it all guys, or is it all similar ages? You're a little older, Colin. No disrespect. You two are a little, little younger. Particularly, uh, obviously, Matty being the under twenty-five representative. What, what is the makeup of the committee then? So there's a there's a, a range of ages. So there's a um, you know a young person's rep and under twenty-fives. There's a pensioners, um, older age pensioners. There's a um, uh, BAME rep, uh, disabled rep, uh, but the the aim of it really isn't that each rep only handles a small section of people, but just it's a, it's across, you know, it's a cross section of the of the fan base really, and we yeah. act as a, we act as a, a team really of ten. That that's what I'd, I'd like to make the point is that every. Every decision that's made, every conversation that happens, it isn't just one person voicing their opinion on that. We all come to an agreement together. So I think there's seven seven male reps, three women reps. Um, but it isn't just like Sophie, who's the, the women's rep, will voice an opinion on something and then we'll just let her get on with it. We'll back her and we'll be like, we support this. And we, we, we want to be all in it together as a, as a fan group and as a fan base. So it isn't just one person repping one thing. Well, that's the way I'd like to. And I think the thing is, anyway. um, you know, we're not exclusive to the groups we cover. So I cover season card holders, but if you're um, an LGBT disabled over 65 season card holder who's a female, <laughs> you've got quite a selection of yeah. representatives to. Uh, you, you might know, to point someone to. in the direction if they're better suited yeah. to handle that for you. But if a if a woman approaches me, I'm not going to go. Oh no, sorry, I'm not a woman. I'll pass you on. So I'll try and help as much as I can. 
But obviously, if you but, feel like someone's better suited to help them, yeah. you'll say, I'll oh, speak yeah, to someone. The point that is we do have the different perspectives. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I think one of the great things is you do get to look at these things from a 360-degree um, perspective, including the clubs. Let's get a few things straight then. Um, are you, when you signed up for this, did the club say to you, what happens in these meetings are confidential? You can't talk about what happens in, the, in these, these meetings. Or are you allowed to speak freely about what happens in these meetings? There is occasionally something that will come up and they'll go, by the way, that's not really for, for wider circulation. But generally speaking... What sort of things are they then? <laughs> we can't say. I don't mean going to the details, I just mean broad strokes. The club has given us a lot of detailed data, for example, that they wouldn't get, won't get going in the public domain. Um, probably, <laughs> probably best not to say, but you know, talk about the makeup of, of season card holders and, and, and things like... Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, there's, a, there's a very easy way that if that got out to the public, the media could spin that in a negative way against the club in some cases. So that, that's, that's well, one did, reason. Sorry, didn't but, you tell us about the season tickets that weren't being used? That's the voice, exactly. by the way, of Will, who's in the background. Go on, what, what did he say Steven Wilberg over there. Um, so, yeah, that's an example of like... What, what did Will say? Because not everybody would have heard that well, clearly. He, he said there was a case where um, the club mentioned to us about the amount of season ticket holders that weren't turning up for games. And obviously, if the media get hold of that, they could spin an article on that and make us look even worse than it already does. So that there is certain specific information that they don't want getting out. But like I, like I mentioned earlier, from the very first meeting, we were like, we want this to be as transparent as possible. We don't want it to look like we're having some little com private conversation and no one's allowed to know about it. Every meeting that we have with the club gets minuted and gets published on the club website. So anyone can go and look at the minutes and see exactly what was discussed in that meeting obviously there will be certain confidential information that's not allowed to go out but for the most part most of that conversation will go out and people can read it they can comment they can say oh why did why did this get brought up why didn't this get brought up etc etc so we want it to be as out there in the public as possible one of the things also we want to do is to to have kind of more depth of coverage so the, the minutes of the meetings are prepared by the club but they're, they're fairly Ball the minutes of the meeting. I think we, we doing something like this perhaps gives us the opportunity to go into more depth. And I know Kevin's been on and Matty's talked about ticket issues. It gives us the opportunity to go into a bit more depth about some of the discussions we have, without you know giving away confidential information the club doesn't want in the public domain. Well, we'll get into to more detail of specific things in a moment or two. Um, but uh, how often do you meet? Well, it, it was originally pencilled in to be every month. Um, in, in practice, it's probably every two months now that we have a full meeting. But in between there, we uh, have smaller sub-meetings. So we've got various sub-committees that will look at specific issues. Um, and basically, there's about three or four reps in each of those, and they, they speak for the group, really. Um, and from that, we'll generate agenda items that we take to the full meeting. So it's spread out a bit bit more than every month now. How long do these meetings last? Um, they can be, well, it, typically they can be up to about three hours or so. So when we have a full meeting with the full city management team, it'll be between, say, 6 and 9 p.m. in the evenings. And occasionally it does overrun. 
So we can get, you know, uh, we can get talking about a lot of interesting stuff, of course. Um, but a lot of the detail work is done in the subcommittees, so the working groups. So we've got one covering ticketing specifically. Uh, there's one covering catering, which is a subject of interest to a lot of people. One which we call the at- it's called the atmosphere subgroup, but that I think we're we're talk- talking about making that more of a match, match day yeah. uh, thing. And there's one on equality and diversity, which you think would be a fairly simple subject, but I think we had one of our more interesting meetings on the subject of equality and diversity. It's fair to say. Um, so 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 we'll talk about a lot of the detail stuff in the subcommittee meetings. In the, in the main meeting, we'll, we'll have a reps meeting as well every few weeks where we talk amongst ourselves and we'll decide on stuff we want to bring up to the club. Generally, at the full meetings, we'll have a couple of big agenda items. There might be something big that we want to bring up. There might be something the club wants to bring up. So it might be talking about the expansion of the North Stand, for example, which has been talked about. Or um, one of the subjects recently was some of the small technology startups that they're working with uh, as part of a... Uh, a venture fund cap- they set up um, called Sapphire something. I can't never remember. Sapphire Ventures, I think it's called. And that's a uh, $100 million fund which the club put money into and they're working with small tech startups to, you know, to try and scale up these things to, to make the match day experience better in some way. So um, we, we, we can talk quite a lot of... We can get through... It's not just one meeting every six weeks, two months. There might be three or four meetings in that in that cycle. So when you say uh, senior management are there, who, who are we talking about? Uh, whether you want to give us names or you want to just give us roles or and the numbers of people that might be there. So in other words, from a fan's perspective who's listening to this now, who's actually listening to this meeting, who's involved in it, and well, who's there from the club? So it's meaningful people from the club. It's Omar Barada, the COO, is there. Danny Wilson, who's the Director of Operations, is there. Uh, Lisa Eaton is sometimes there, the support services head. Um, and then there's, there's Elliot, uh, the PR, head of PR. Um, Andrew and Gilligan, uh, who's uh, Director of Research and Insight, which may surprise people. We have someone who's Director of Research and Insight. It probably wouldn't have happened in Peter Swales' day. But <laughs> you, you, there's, there's a very slick operation behind the club these days. And I think, uh, and occasionally we get people in. Uh, on a specific topic so we've had um, Andrew Taylor who's the food and beverage head uh, Clive is it Wilton? Wilton yeah yeah who's involved in sustainability we've had Carolyn McBride who's the group HR director and, and certainly one of my my first question when I was approached about doing this was who is doing this for the club because if it wasn't someone senior then I would have said no but the fact Omar Barada runs the club, and people not particularly familiar with Omar, they know Ferran Soriano, Chigi Bagheri Stan, and of course uh, our chairman, Kaldun Al Mubarak, better. But Omar Barada is the man who runs City on a day to day basis. Is his role Chief Operating Officer? Chief Operating yeah. Officer, that's correct, yeah. So you're looking at originally Chris Bird was, I think, was he the first one of those? Uh, the... uh, Chris Bird was Chief, Chris Bird and Alistair McIntosh, I think, were. Joint chief executives or, or debt managing directors, which didn't work very well, and um, okay. that was the whole time around David Bernstein, wasn't it? And uh, now here's a much more subjective question, which is at the core of all this, um, and which well, I'll go into more detail in a minute um, from questions from people. But it is a general overview thing that a lot of people keep saying to me when they message me: Is this just tokenism from the club? Do, is this does the club? do this just so that they can then push through decisions that they want and then blame you people 
um, and and so it's just it's just a bit of tokenism. Well, to give a little bit of background very quickly, um, all clubs are required by Premier League rules to have structured engagement with the fans. And also, there's a, a group in Parliament in the, House of, in the in the House of Commons called the Football Expert Working Group, and they've also made uh, made it virtually mandatory for clubs to have what they call structured formal engagement with their fans. So, all clubs now have some sort of committee to to some degree or other, similar committee or similar way of communicating with the fans. Now, so, so that, to go back to my original question was. My original question to the club was, who's running this on from the club's point of view? Because I was, I was worried that it would be a little bit of a box-ticking exercise. I think we're all satisfied that it's not tokenism. We do have some very robust discussions with the club. We're not nodding dogs. You know, we're not sitting there saying, yes, you can do that. Th th there are issues we have with the club. There are arguments we have with them. There are disagreements. Um, there are things we, we, which we suggest that they take on board. So, um, so, so for example, one of the things uh, they, they were talking about um, in, under the heading of sustainability about reducing the number of car journeys that people take. And there was a proposal on the table to uh, charge people depending on how many people they had in the car uh, and when they arrived. We didn't think that was a, the, the original proposal the club put to us, we didn't think was a very good proposal. And they've actually ad adopted the one that we suggested, which was to give people, to reward people for having multiple occupancy in cars. But so not, now, to, if you not go on the to punish them if they didn't. That was our key point, wasn't it? We didn't want to punish fans for not bringing more people, which it kind of felt like was going to happen, didn't it? I mean, so, I, I, how does I, this work then? So on the official club car park, which is the only place this, you can do this. On the official club car park, normally it's £10. Right. If you if you now park and you've got more than two people in your car, it's eight pounds. So it's a way of encouraging people to a couple of quid, but it's it's a a way of encouraging people to fill the cars if they can. So you know that, that I say the clubs. I, I don't want to go into too much detail. The club's original proposal we didn't think was particularly clever. So, so you you can certainly use that as an example then of something that that they had a, something an idea that they were going to do, and you as a group change their minds and well, made them do it in a different way. What would be the point of us being there if we just sat there and went, yeah, that's a really good idea. Like, yeah, we agree with that. There'd be no point of us being there. And obviously, they aren't nodding dogs either. Every suggestion we bring to them, they're not just going to go, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Because it's not as simple as that. But Yeah, we, we have to understand what we're capable of influencing. Yeah. So if people get in touch and say, oh, why don't you have match day ticket prices? It's just not... That's just not something we're going to be able to achieve. It's not. That's not the remit, really. It is more mundane things in a lot of cases, like mm. car parking prices. Or right. Let, let, let's let's come to some. Well, the the first and the biggest one, I suppose, and the most contemporary one at the moment, given that City are playing United on Tuesday, has been this decision to limit the number of away tickets to three thousand. So, although there are lots of people who've contacted me about this, I think I can do a a sort of overview question which is on behalf of all of those people so first of all um true or not true you know were you consulted were you part of this decision not, not at all no why were you, do you, does uh, that upset well, we you that you weren't part of that decision yeah it upsets me yeah 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 I, I, if anyone saw uh, say kevin parker who's obviously a member of our committee is also general secretary <coughs> of the osc and Kevin published a, a letter he'd sent to the club, or a, an open letter, which was very critical of them. And for the OSC to be very critical of the club is pretty well 
uh, is pretty unusual, really, almost unheard of. Absolutely. If, you, if people know the, the history of the Supporters Club, I think it was yep. under the Swales era that the Supporters Club actually split into two different factions, uh, the official Supporters Club and the... What was it called? The other bit the of it? CSA, Centenary Supporters, Centenary Supporters Association. Association. And that happened because um, I think it was... Well, the OSC refused to get involved in the swales out protest. They, want, they, they said that, that you they had to neutral, support the club. Politically neutral, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that's why the split happened. They've obviously come back together yeah. again now. So you're right, for the official supporters club to, and through Kevin to have made such a strong comment like that is almost unprecedented. Yeah. And is, are you saying that's as a reaction to what some might, people might say was that your committee and your City Matters committee was undermined by being completely bypassed on what was a highly, to a lot of people's view, emotional, highly charged and controversial decision to limit this number of tickets for the away fans. I'm certainly interested to find out why at the next meeting it wasn't mentioned at the last meeting which took place just a few days before that announcement was made and, and there was no mention of that at that meeting at all. And I think it shows up as well that one of the things we bring to City Matters is we're fans. You know, what you said earlier about these are not... We're fans. I've been going to City for 50 years and Kevin Park has been involved in the supporters club for 20 years and, uh, well, longer than that, he's been general secretary for 20 years. You know, we, we, we've done the hard miles. We, we know everything that there is to know as fans. And one of the things we do is we bring this insight to the club because they don't think... Like fans, so you, you talk about things like Metrolink doesn't affect Omar Barada or Danny Wilson or Lisa Eaton, but it affects a lot of our the people we represent. And I get a lot of communication. I had one the other day about Metrolink and what can we do about it. Now, obviously, we can't force Metrolink to provide a better service, but if we have, we as fans can get in front of them, Metrolink, uh, the, we can perhaps give them more insight into what we want because the club don't use the, you know, the, the senior executives of the club, they're all ferried around, aren't they? I mean, they don't use the service. So um, you know, it, we, we bring the insight of fans as to what the match day experience means to us, what, what we like, what we don't like. Um, in terms of, you know, ticketing, again, very controversial area, but uh, again, we, we bring some insight as fans because the club, I think from our point of view, uh, me as a rep, I've... The interesting thing about this is that I've been forced to look at things from the club's point of view, but they've been forced to look at it from our point of view because all right, some of the people who run the club are off. Danny and Lisa have been been there a long time. They, they know stuff. I've seen Lisa at games, so I know she goes to games. Um, they, But they don't really think corporately like fans. They don't see things the way we see them. And that's what we think we try to bring to the table. I think that's spot on. And it's quite startling sometimes when you mention something, you point out something at a meeting and the, the club reps there seem quite startled by what would seem quite a, an Common obvious thing to, yeah. to a match-going fan. I can't think of an example specifically. Maybe collecting destination. There was some talk about... Which this games? is picking tickets up at European away yeah. games and yeah. things like that. And we, we, there was some suggestion made that we highlighted that might not be the best game to, to you know, for, for whatever logistical reasons, that might not be a wise idea. So the two-hour queue at Glasgow for, for the game uh, when City played at Celtic uh, in the pouring rain in the middle of Glasgow when suddenly all the travelling fans have to be stood there openly seen by 
potentially hooligans and troublemakers. Mm. It seemed like a crazy idea when I heard about that. Um, that would have been the type of thing now at City Matters that you would have queried and potentially stopped, would Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we don't always get it right first time. You know, there are things we talk about and you come out and you think, actually, uh, you know, something happens or you think about it a little bit more and you think perhaps we should have... Um, change that a little bit and, and these things have happened but I mean uh, no we to get back to the original question we we weren't consulted and I know our counterparts at United they weren't consulted and they're upset how do you feel about it then you three I mean you're only three of the ten and you are only three fans out of you know however many hundreds of thousands well, of city fans how do you feel about this decision to limit away tickets I feel let down by the club um, I won't be getting a ticket because I just won't get one of 3,000. I would have got one out of 7,500, so I won't be, won't be going. Uh, I think I've managed to get to one Old Trafford derby in about 30 years, um, and this would have been a chance to get to another one, and I won't be going now. Yeah, exactly yeah, the same. I mean, uh, Do you understand the reason you know, why it, the club have done it? As I it? said before, you try, to try to get 40,000 season card holders to agree on something is very difficult, but I've never seen such unanimity among City fans about this decision. It's a poor decision. And as fans, what we'd say to them was, well, all right, if they're given us a reason, we may not be able to influence it. As Adam said before, we can't influence everything the club does. and People assume we can go there and bang on the table and, and the club will say, OK, we can't do that necessarily. We can try and influence them. But what we'd say to them as fans is, this is going to cause more trouble. If you're trying to avoid trouble, this is going to cause more trouble because there are lots of fans going to get... If you look at the Old Trafford ticket map, there's loads of tickets in their um, East Stand, which I think where we would have been, which they're selling. And all you have to do is buy a membership to buy one. 20 quid and you get a 30 quid Somebody ticket. told me at the matches so today, they're, you don't they're, even they're, need to do that. You know, they're all open it, sale. We saw it on, on Saturday with the Port Vale game. They were quite, despite the fact they got twice their normal ho average home attendance, there were still Port Vale fans buying tickets in home areas. It's okay. been happening in every game, hasn't it? Yeah. Everton game, there was Everton fans, Liverpool game. Like, every every home game, there's away fans that somehow get tickets, aren't there? So, so, so the best thing to do, in our view, and certainly in, in our counterparts at United, is to give the tickets and minimise the risk of fans getting in other parts of the ground. Do you think the club have made this decision because of the trouble that there was at the derby not too long ago when there was a missile thrown, I think, at Fred? There was a little bit of suggestion of uh, racist abuse, which I've never seen but that was properly home fans. concluded. That was home fans. But, but was, was that the reason that they got scared by that and thought the last thing we need is six, 7,000 fans being here at a we derby? We don't know that it was necessarily the club's decision, though. Like, well, isn't it, it the two it, clubs who... In, well, this is interesting that you, as the City Matters Committee, don't actually know the answer to this. I'm not saying you should, by the way. I'm not trying to... That, this isn't an attempt to, to embarrass mm. you. But I find it quite amazing, really, that this thing that is so big, that you, you've been left so much out of all this and don't really know how the decision has been made or why it's been made or anything like but that. Again, I, we, I don't think we mind that. If the club had come out and, and given us a clear explanation... In public... In public yeah. as to why this decision has been made, but they haven't done, <clears throat> and, and neither have Manchester United. So um, we're all, you know, all the supporters of both clubs are completely in the dark. And if it's a, a, but you know, if it's a way of trying to restrict trouble, as I said, you, it was home fans who were throwing stuff. It was a home fan who was accused of, uh, uh, you know, racial insults. So if they think that stopping. You know, 5,000 fans um, 
away fans turning up at either stadium is going to stop trouble. Well, I know you can't. I know you can't answer this because this. You know, I'm not. I'm not putting you on the spot. But a lot of fans perceive also that this is saving money because if there'd have been a bigger allocation of away fans, that there would have had to have been a bigger police presence, which was, would have cost the club money, and that that's one of the reasons why this has been cut back. Because it does seem bizarre that. On the face of it, none of us know at this point, but as it stands from what people are telling me, it's possible that neither game will actually be sold out, and yet we're heavily restricting yeah. the number of official mm. away fans, which does seem bizarre. It's so stupid, we'll, yeah. let's leave that hanging, because it's not you that's been deciding this, so it's, it's unfair, really. I just say, the, the, the frustration is that if they had had a conversation with us about it at least we might have got their perspective and we could have shared that with fans and then I, I wouldn't want that to be people thinking, oh, see, you're a puppet, you're defending them. I would just want to be able to say, well, this is what the club are thinking, this is their reasoning behind it, or this is why and they've we, come to that we decision. Put our point of exactly, view we told them we don't agree with it, but at least then we could pass the message to fans that, okay, well, this is why they've done it. Whether we agree with it or not is something else, but at least then we would have been able to say to fans, this is why the club will come to that decision rather than you sat there going, well, why have they done it? Because we don't know either and we can't we can't tell fans why that is because we don't know ourselves. So, yeah, it's extremely disappointing. Here's some questions then. Right, let's get on to specifics. And well, the first one is is right on this subject, right? This is There's actually five from the same person, so I'm going to read them all out, actually. Um, a guy called Alex Sarge. So thanks very much for, for tweeting me and giving me some questions. Is question number one. Given the League Cup ticket debacle, as he calls it, how much influence do you think you have? Well, that's, yeah, that's, a committee. That's, a valid, well that's a valid question. I, would, I mean, a month ago, I would have said we, we had <coughs> a, a reasonable amount of influence. Like I say, we don't influence everything, but uh, just match-going match issues we can have a, a, a decent influence on. But this certainly does make you feel that uh, we've been cut out of the loop. Second question from Alex Sarge. Uh, do you think the new ticket scheme is working? Now, this is a huge one. Um, and <laughs> well, there are, maybe it's worth explaining how ticket, the ticket system... And what, well, first of all, what is the ticket system? How did it work previously? What has changed? And how much of an input did you have into what those changes well, were? Yeah, I'm, I set up the ticketing working group. So I've been involved in all these discussions, some of which we had a full group. Uh, level as well. Now, uh, it, I think to our surprise, the first thing the club threw at us was we want to do something about away ticket allocation. And I think what was equally surprising, because I, I didn't think that was, we didn't think that was the top, would be the top item on their agenda. Clearly it is a problem. Uh, and certainly some of the things they've said indicate that um, away ticket people selling on away tickets was getting a bit out of hand. And, we, you know, you get a lot of complaints, don't you, about seeing uh, away fan or non-City fans at Anfield and Old Trafford and things like that. Now, to our, again, to our surprise, I think, the club uh, went public about the way it allocates tickets. So for, for a typical 3,000 allocation, I think we said before, you've said before on the pod, Matt has covered this, 60% mm. go to season card holders, uh, 20% to the um, supporters club, 15% go to hospitality, which, which causes some little bit of uh, comment, and the, the club keep 5%. Now, 
then there's the whole issue. It's a very comp- we could have a whole podcast on on tick, but I would have a series of podcasts on ticketing. So it's very difficult to cover it in depth. So so one of the things we we talked about was how we um, make away ticketing a little bit fairer, because we had a situation where if you were at the top of the list, you got a ticket. And, but because of the way the point system works, there was every incentive to buy a ticket, if, even if you weren't going to use that ticket. And the club's indication, again, I'm not, I'm not sure whether it's how confidential this is, so I've got to be careful what I say. The club's indication was that there were a significant number of tickets changing hands from the original buyer to the person who eventually used it. Now, of course, the danger is that some of these get on the get in the hands of touts or, or, or third-party websites. And that explains, by the way, the reason why they came with this idea of when you're in a way European game, you go and pick it up yourself well, with ID rather that, than... That um, was actually a UEFA requirement. Ah, so that wasn't a club thing. That wasn't a club thing. No, in fact, the club are actually very lax about UEFA requirements. I had a meeting with representatives from the other top six clubs uh, back in the summer, and they're all much stricter about the way they implement UEFA requirements. So um, there's going to be a big change, I think, uh, in, in our club's attitude because we've been very lackadaisical about it, very lax about it. We've not taken on, we've virtually taken on nothing on board of what UEFA want clubs to do, which may come as a surprise to people. Um, that's another subject. So that's nothing to do with the club. So, so we're, we're looking at a way ticket allocation, and uh, we're also looking at the whole points system. So the, the, the question is, at, at the moment, um, you, you accumulate all the, all the points you've earned over the lifetime of your membership of the scheme. So since, I think, the year before we moved from Main Road, 2002, the point system started. Uh, and, and if you've been going since 2002, uh, if you're going regularly, you're, you're on top of the points list. So the, That's the, home and away. Yeah, home and away. Now, the question is, is that fair? Because people say, oh, there's two views on this. One group of people say, well, I've been doing it for 20 years, so it, it's fair that I get first choice. Other people say, and I've had people at the top of the list say to me, I could not buy a ticket for two years and I'd still get a ticket for the Old Trafford derby. Now, so you've got to try and balance those two views off. And, and certainly we're the only club of, of the big clubs that runs uh, a lifetime accumulation of points system. All the others, at United have a ballot, the other four of the big five clubs all have a, a points, um, uh, either a rolling system or a, I think Liverpool goes on previous year only, previous season only. Uh, Spurs, I think they have a three-year rolling um, system. So, so we're out of kilter with, with, with some of the other clubs. So, but it's a very complicated, you can imagine, it's a very complicated under, undertaking to try and shift from the system we've got to the where we want to go to. Just one point as well is that the, the club were keen to point out that that system that was implemented was implemented at a time when they couldn't shift the away tickets and the yeah. points were introduced to help sell the tickets. We're now in a situation where there's just not enough away tickets to go around. So it's just, a, it's just an out-of-date system. Was the thing, was well, the thing. I, ironically, one of the things that was brought in was to make a, a free hit for 18 to 25-year-olds to actually have their own little allocation. I know you split, Colin, the... You know the, those different percentages, but within that sixty percent, presumably no, no, full, it's the top, full hundred percent. It's off the top. So there's five percent of the whole three thousand. Right. Okay. So well, that, that makes one hundred and five percent, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah. a, a percentage of these tickets are suddenly uh, available to eighteen twenty-five who have no points whatsoever. 
you represent the. They have the to be a season ticket holder. You have to so be it, right. Okay. That, that that was an agreement I had with people going like, oh, like they're not loyal fans. It's like, well, if you're a season ticket holder, surely you're a loyal fan. Like you have to be a season ticket holder to apply for that, which means you're going to every home game. I understand that this this was the real issue that we had is that. People have rightly so built up them points by following City year on year, every game, home and away, during the, the times where we weren't successful, and, and rightly so, they deserve to have first priority. But we're in a situation where the gap between those without and those with was growing massively. And the people at the top, not all of them, but some of them, would have been buying a ticket and not necessarily using it, selling it on someone else who who doesn't get the points, and they still do. So they stay at the top. I get that, and and you, that, 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 that's point, that point's been yeah. made. On the, specifically on the eighteen to twenty five year olds. Yeah. Now maybe I'm a little bit innocent and naive or whatever, and because I stayed, spent a lot of time outside the ground doing my vlog, and then often come in because I'm in the away section at away games, coming at the last minute. I don't necessarily have the same perception that some people do. Uh, that's not me ducking this, it's genuinely how I feel. But I have a lot of people come to me, genuinely a lot of City fans come to me and say that a lot of the 18 to 25-year-olds, the ones who are uh, on something, as they say, um, who, are, who cause the trouble, who uh, don't stand... I mean, I know we're all supposed to sit down, but the reality is everybody stands up and that they don't necessarily stay where they're supposed to do, push in with their mates, block the views of people who are trying to watch the game sensibly and actually get really upset about these 18 to 25-year-olds. Now, I'm going to stand back from it and, and say I have no opinion, but I am going mm. to express that opinion on behalf of a yeah. lot of people. And trust me, a lot of people have said this, that the 18 to 25-year-olds who are now getting this access to tickets are actually causing a lot of the trouble in the away end. I'd throw a question back and go, so what's the solution to that? Do you, do you stop people who are under 25 going to games in case they're on some sort of substance? So that's a very that's a generalisation of a huge... Um, age group there that they're all troublemaking drug taking alcoholics or whatever you want to call and if I, the response to that it would be to stop them going how does that differ from city saying we can't have away tickets for the cup semi-final it's the same logic it's flawed if it's flawed for the carlin cup semi-final it's flawed for this I, yeah i, I have to i have to, I understand that, why. I have to put that forward because yeah. there's so many people who've said it to me okay well i would like them people to get in touch with me and explain to me what they think should be done about that and i, I i'm not i'm not getting on the defensive here I, I want to know what do you think the solution is to that do we do we drug test fans before they come into the ground is that a possible thing you tell me because I, I find that a very difficult one to handle because I'm sure there yeah, are people one of the who are One of the worst incidents acting. I've ever seen was um, a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago actually, must have been 2006, coming back from a Middlesbrough game on the train. And there were three City fans on there who caused a lot of trouble. They, they attacked, uh, uh, it was St. Patrick's Day actually, for those who remember it, they attacked an Irish lad who was, you know, you had a few drinks and... Uh, these were middle-aged guys. They, they were 18 to 25-year-olds. Uh, you know, I've seen middle-aged guys, guys in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s get involved in trouble. Mm. You know, it's, not, it's not limited. People could behave themselves at games. That'd be great. And, and it's almost, you know, there's almost a generalisation that all football fans are ho potential hooligans. I think the police look at us as all potential hooligans. You, know, you can go to a, 
you can go to a rugby match, you can go to a cricket match, you can go to any match and sit with opposing fans. And you can have a laugh and a chat with them, you can have a beer at your seat. And it always annoys me that you can go, I can go to the Etihad to a concert or a rugby game, I can sit in my seat and have a beer, which I can't do at a football match. And it's the same sort of generalisation. Uh, you know, people see trouble, they should report it. And uh, we, you know, we've had a lot of feedback about issues like smoking in the toilets and drug taking. Uh, it's not 18 to 25 year olds necessarily who are the ones smoking in the toilet so yeah yeah i mean some of them will be uh, you know kids youngsters tend to be the ones who are perhaps a bit maybe a little bit more aggressive. i'm sure but, they were the same when they were building there, up there's their a lot, ticket of, lot points. of people older than 25 who cause problems let's move on to a few other subjects then because we could be here all night <laughs> uh, because there are so many different subjects and and I'm going to make this podcast slightly longer than normal, but I don't want to make it massively longer, which means some questions won't get asked. Maybe we do this again at some point in the future. I'm happy to do that. But let's go through a couple more questions a bit quicker, right? So I know this isn't in-depth, but uh, another <coughs> question from Alex is, uh, given the contrast between the areas I walk through to get to the ground and the Harvey Nichols Tunnel Club experiences, how seriously do you think the club are about maintaining the soul of the club? This is an interesting question, actually, because... Um, I find I don't want to be too dismissive, but there's a lot of fans who are still in the you know the 1990s perhaps, uh, and that's good because you know all our fans have been loyal. So so when opposition fans sing "Where Were You When You Weren't Very Good," um, <laughs> is that how it goes? To avoid being cut out, <laughs> perhaps they use a slightly different word. <laughs> yeah, we know we've been there through the hard times, and um, but the club. Yeah, you know, football has changed, and I know a lot of people don't like the way it's changed. But actually, a lot of the uh, lot of the money we get from um, match day revenue comes from hospitality. We, the club have never told us how much, but I've heard a story. At United, they've got about ten percent of the seats are what you might, what you might call premium hospitality seats, and they get sixty percent of their revenue from that. Now we've fallen behind Liverpool, so Liverpool. Their match day revenue is over 70 million hours is in the mid 50s, 57, 58 million. And we've got similar size stadiums. There's all sorts of reasons for that. But un unfortunately, football has moved. Uh, you know, so, uh, and one of the good things is you, you can get a ticket, season ticket for 300 quid, or you can go in the Harvey Nichols box. Now, you know, the likes of us are never going to go in the, in the Harvey Nichols experience. I don't know what the club make on that. But that's the nature of the modern game, whether we like it or not. It's the nature of the modern game. We're never going to go, go back to standing on terraces. Um, well, there's another question, right? Uh, safe standing, <laughs> where are we up to with that? Is that going to be introduced at any point? Has that been discussed by City Matters? Yeah, I think the club are in favour of it. It's just held back by the legislation, but I think there's a feeling that it will come eventually. Our chairman has said he's quite in favour of it. But I mean, to get back to the question, to answer it quickly, um, I, I, tell you, I think people have got a range of options for tickets. And, and someone going into a box doesn't stop someone having a 300 quid ticket. I think where we get a bit um, nervous is if they were taking away um, ordinary seats. Well, well, like they did for the tunnel club. One, well, two, I was going to say, one, there two, were people five. who were that moved was, against their will away from know, that area. Because I, I, where I sit in 109, I looked up uh, on Saturday at the hospitality areas and they weren't full. Now, we had a 52,000 plus crowd there, but the one... The big gaps were in that 93.20, Joe's, Chairman's Club. I, I don't know why they couldn't put the Tunnel Club up there, but for whatever reason. Because the tunnels are up there. The pitch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the pitch, true. Yeah, did they have to do that? I don't know. But 
I think people, unfortunately, have to accept that football has changed. We've changed as a club. And, and these things come with success, whether we like it or not. But as long as you can, you know, I will stick up for fans. As long as you can still get a ticket for whatever it is, 325 quid, um, then, then to me, they're meeting all the requirements that they have to do. Uh, Peter Bramall says, interested to know when, if at all, there will be screens at the other end of the ground to replace the one that was moved in the family stand. We can't see a screen. Yeah, we did ask for that and they just said that there's no plans at this time. But we've, we've asked that question. So we don't know the answer to that one. Well, there's no plans to do uh, it. Jenks the Mod says, uh, why don't they make, this is talking about you now as the, uh, the City Matters Committee, why don't you make yourself more visible? I've even emailed one who represents my group, he doesn't say which one it is, and didn't even get the courtesy of reply. They could have a more, more of a social media presence. Uh, only just over half of the season ticket holders have heard of this group. Now, obviously, one of the reasons why you're here today is because, actually, your group reached out to me and said, we'd like to make ourselves more public. So I hope that when people listen to this podcast that they retweet it and they share it, and I hope you guys will do that as well, and that will partly answer that. But do you, is, that one of the, is that why you came to do this, because you wanted to, to have more contact with people? Yeah, and we are, we are struggling to get to get out there, I think. Um, we, we have email addresses, we have a page on the website, we have a, um, a, you know, a page on the Citizens Portal. But to be honest, yeah, we need to, we need to be out there more. So that's why we're doing this, like you say. I mean, we are doing, we're, we're doing things like uh, a few of us have been interviewed before games. I was interviewed in City Square mm. uh, a few games back. Um, we're doing programme blogs. But one of the discussions we're having with the club, and it has taken... I think we're happy, relatively happy, apart from the latest ticket fiasco with the way things have been going up to then. But one of the issues we've had is how the club um, projects us, projects the committee and the members. And I think that's one thing we're still trying to get on top of, which is one of the reasons why we're here. We're trying to get, we, we, you know, we'd like to do more. Social media is difficult because you, you open yourself to all sorts of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Blue Moon, and you get, you know, you get a handful, not many, but you get a handful of people that, that give you abuse. And I, I do it on volu- I do this on a voluntary basis. Um, it, it, the club originally suggested, actually, that I should be the administrator of a Facebook page for season ticket holders. And I'm saying, well, uh, there are 40,000 season ticket holders. <laughs> That's a full-time job. That's your job to do. Um, and the club didn't want to take it on. I wasn't going to take it on because I don't get paid for it. Um, so we're looking at ways in which we... Uh, increase our visibility. So I, I think, as I said before, the minutes are a bit bare, they're a bit bald. We'd like some sort, you know, we'd like to personalise things more. We'd like to get in, into, uh, we'd like to get out there more. So the citizen's voice, uh, the, uh, the, there's interviews, but we, we, we'd, uh, we'd like to do more to mm. to get known among City fans. Although I think we were quite... We were relatively happy with the level... The, the club talked about the, the survey they did on Citizen's Voice, and we, I think we were relatively happy with the level of uh, recognition that we had there, but there's still more to do. The what frustration happened? with social media is that obviously people are a lot more inclined to speak out when they're annoyed, rather than 
like giving positive feedback or useful information. A lot of people just sit on Twitter and complain and complain and complain, but they won't actually take the time to message you and go, oh, well, here's an idea I have. How about this? Because anyone who's ever messaged me, emailed me, whatever, I've had a conversation with them. I've gone back and forth. I've explained my ideas. They've explained theirs. And I've tried to move forward with it. When people just spout nonsense, just saying, oh, they're in it for themselves, blah, de, blah. We're doing this on a voluntary basis, giving up hours and hours of our time because we're passionate about City and we want to make positive change. So this in it for ourselves bull that people talk really annoys me because it doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't help us make progression if you're just going to spout nonsense. I understand tickets, for example, it's a passionate subject and people are passionate, but please be passionate in the right way of putting forward your suggestions and helping us to because we might we, we're not going to get everything right are we no there is no one quick fix solution that's going to please every fan and if you want to put yourself up when when it becomes available you you put yourself up i won't be under 25 at the next one so anyone who's under 25 who thinks i've done a terrible job or thinks they can make solutions that improve the 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 fan experience put yourself forward because we're not going to get everything right. And we the more people who speak to us and give us their opinions, the more of an understanding we're going to have of our fan base. I'm going to draw the podcast to a conclusion in a second by asking you how people contact you. I'm going to give one more question here. As mm-hmm. I say, we're in, we're in um, extra time at the moment, really. But this is Jordan <laughs> Evans who says... Uh, why are the club giving so many tickets to in ordinary areas of the ground to ticket companies, rows upon rows of seats that are now unavailable to normal City fans going to tourists or away fans? Are you going to question the club about it? Have you questioned the club about uh, that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, we have talked about this. Um, the, the club, uh, well... It's one of those difficult areas where I, I I don't know why the club do it, but I guess it comes with being a successful club. We've now got a global presence and people from all over the world. I think um, Kevin Parker said that we've now got more branches in the USA than we used to have in the UK, in the USA alone. We've got branches all over the world and people want to come and watch Manchester City. And you know, we, we can't really... The, the, the thing is, if you look at United and Liverpool, they've got global fan bases. They get Manisa has just been over from Norway. Uh, she lives in Oslo, and, and she was she flew back on Friday. She the plane was full of Liverpool fans. They've been at the Liverpool. So, 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 so I mean, I know you can give a long answer. And I'm not trying to cut yeah. you short, Colin. It's only because of the so, length of so, time we've been speaking. But to up sum it all, it's just part of. You're saying it's just part of the club growing and inevitability. Because I must admit, I've stood in front of City supporters groups for 30-odd years. And I remember when um, Taxin Shinawatra first came in, before even the shake came in, and, and people spent the first half of the supporters club, club meeting complaining to me about shirt prices, ticket prices, programme prices, and everything like that. <clears throat> and then the next minute, they're saying, why are we not signing this player and that player and the other player? And I'm saying, can you not see the juxtaposition here if you want success you have to pay for it and if we get now through this new ownership success which clearly we have then there is a price that you will have to pay either increased tickets less allocation to normal fans and more tourists and and it's just inevitability of of the club growing to this global brand but the questions we should be asking well that's right no it's a different different control do you have over these agencies and we have asked the question what control do you have over these agencies uh, providing tickets 
you know, if, if you're a United fan coming to the, um, the second of the Carabao Cup final and you can get a ticket through these agencies, that's, a, that's a, you know, a red flag to me. But isn't this also, I'm not defending this, I'm just making one final point before I ask you for your communication channels. Uh, my, my son said to me recently, this is about a concert, pop concert, right? Um, I said, uh, is, is it sold out yet, this event you want to go to? He says, Dad, they don't sell, concerts don't sell out anymore. They might sell out at the venue, but on the secondary websites, yeah. there are always tickets available. If you've got the right amount of money, you can go to any event. So we will still be able to get tickets. Isn't that just what's happened to football? Rightly or wrongly... Because I remember when I was a kid, if I wanted to go and watch a concert, I had to queue up at three o'clock in the morning, just like I did at Main Road. Mm. And once the tickets had gone, that was it. You couldn't get one. But now you don't do that. You go on at nine o'clock in the morning, and if you don't, they're sold out. You think, right, I'll live it a couple of days, and then I'll go on all these secondary sites, and I'll get one <laughs> from there. Is that not just where we are? Now, I don't expect you to answer that. It's a rhetorical <laughs> question, which we might debate on a future City Matters yeah. debate or another podcast. But, but, but one of the things we are trying to do is trying to get the club to think strategically about where it goes. Because we have grown as a club from a few years ago when we were, you know, mid-table Premier League club, you know, with Stuart Pearce and, and then uh, Shinawatra came along. And, and But now we're a global presence. And I think one of my particular concerns is the club doesn't think carefully enough about where we're going to be in 20 years' time. It's Things are done, <coughs> the way I see things, things are done on a bit of a whim on you know, what can we do next month or, mm. or how much are we going to put up season ticket prices next season without thinking that we've got quite an old, basically we have got quite an old demographic as a fan base. How are we going to fill those seats in 20 years' time? Right, listen, you uh, three, uh, absolute stars for coming here. Thank you for putting your head above the parapet and, and to, to talk about things, these things as openly as you have done. I can't tell you personally how much I appreciate that. I'm sure there are lots of people listening to this who will want to echo that. Whether they agree with you or not isn't the point. You have been prepared to sit here, talk about it and go through it in great detail, for which I personally am very much appreciative. Um, in a second, I'm going to ask you to, to tell us how to contact you. Just a big shout out again to charleslouis.co.uk who sponsor the podcast. Thanks very much for your support, guys. If you want mortgage advice, go to the website, have a look at it, and they will sort you out. The podcast next week is going to come from a supporters club meeting in Wilmslow, and it's on the Monday after the Aston Villa game. So it will be... Um, it will go up on the Monday evening, the next podcast, so uh, look out for that. Obviously, I'll be out now about vlogging, as I normally do. There'll be a, a video, shortened video version of this that will appear on my Forever Blue YouTube channel, which Will has been filming while we've been sat here. Uh, you three are only three of ten, but you can give us your points of contact. So, Matty... You are the 18 to 25-year-old yes. group leader, if you want to call it that, representative. <laughs> How do people contact you? So you can either email me, that's matty.dove at citymatters.co.uk, or Twitter. Twitter's probably the second easiest. Um, that's pretty much the same, just at mattydove. I don't really use social media that much because the effects on my mental health. 
Well, if you direct message me, I'll instantly reply. I just don't tweet a lot, but if you direct message me, I'll, I'll happily reply and answer any questions or listen to you. I mean, if anyone wants to find our contact details, they're on the club website under Club and Stadium, City Matters, yeah. and there's a page for each representative with our email addresses. If you Google City Matters, I think it's the top hit yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so my email address is colin.savage at citymatters.co.uk. Adams is adam.purdue. But you can find all the reps' contact. I think you can just click on and it will uh, open the email for you. And you um, all welcome people to do this. We do, actually. Yeah. I mean, we urge it. Just to echo the point quickly, echo the point Matty made before. So, like people moaning on social media. I, I, I'm, I'm a you know, poster on Blue Moon, and people say, has our City Matters rep brought this up? Well, no, because no one's come to me. I, I prefer not to use social media because it, I, you know, I prefer to do that from a personal stuff. Yeah. So, but, but if people contact us on, on the City Matters uh, email addresses, we will take it up. You know, we've, uh, and, and to give an example of how you can't, I, I got a lot of representing 40,000 people. My inbox, I, I spent three full days replying when I first started this. And half the emails were the, the PA system was too loud. And the other half were, I can't hear the PA system. So, but if you contact me on City Matters, then I've got it in one place, which, which helps me. I, I genuinely admire you for taking this on, all of you, the, the seven who aren't here as well, because as you pointed out and made clear, you don't get paid. You must get a lot of criticism and a lot of negativity, uh, and you've got to be thick-skinned to do that, and you've got to be determined to want to represent proper City fans. So I admire you for that. Well done. Hats off. Genuinely. Uh, I think it's a brilliant initiative from the club that they want to do this um, and that they uh, appear to listen to you most of the time, if not all the time, because obviously the, you've, you've mentioned about the Derby match, perhaps not, not referring to you as they should have done. But nevertheless, and broad strokes, you've got to say it's a good idea from the club and it's great that you three and the other seven and whoever does it in the future do it. Thanks very much for talking to me. That's it from this week's Forever Blue. Um, let's hope City is successful in the first leg of the Carabao Cup and of course next week's game in Aston Villa in the Premier League we'll be back from Wilmslow not that it'll make any difference where we are to you but with our next uh, podcast yeah, showing um, off now a week and a day <laughs> well I've been invited to the branch to talk about the Vinnie book and everything so I thought well we might as well kill two birds with one stone so thanks very much for listening and uh, we'll see you again next week mm-hmm.